News. We are a community-led news source. Broadcasting from our Paul River studio on the coast of the Salish Sea and the traditional territory of the Slaman people. On today's show, how do we sustain a healthy forest economy for generations to come? We have two people in the studio today who we will talk to about that. And we are taking your questions. You can call us at 604-485-0088 to get your questions on the air or email news at cjmp.ca. And you can also write us on Facebook. And right now, before we get into it, we'll play a song for you so you can get your questions ready. And we didn't say who was in the studio. We've got Russell Brewer and Andrew Bryant, and we'll introduce them shortly. I didn't want to be a barber anyway. I wanted to be a lumberjack. Leaping from tree to tree as they float down the mighty rivers of British Columbia. The giant redwood, the larch, the fir, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girlie by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night, I work all day. He's a lumberjack, he's okay. I sleep all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the lavatory. <laughs> On Wednesdays I go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. I cut down trees, I skip and jump, I like to press wildflowers. I put on women's clothing and hang around in bars. So that, of course, was the Lumberjack song by... Monty Python's Flying Circus. And um, before we get into the show, we're going to just uh, tell you about some of the uh, grants that were uh, given out last night. City Council, it was announced, Paul River Community Forest. Seems fitting that we're talking about forestry and uh, the grants were announced at the same time. So just give you a quick rundown of what was approved. Um, so last night, $143,000 to Inclusion Paul River Society to renovate the Gene Pike Center into the Arc Community Theater. Uh, Prisma's got $19,000 for con- concert stage riser- risers. Excuse me. Um, there's a number of different uh, grants that were funded. Paul River Historical Museum uh, is $40,000 to upgrade their sawmill display, which is actually pretty impressive if you've been there. Um, the climbing gyms getting another $50,000 and there's a new f- wood floor for Dwight Hall, which is also quite a big deal. I understand has it's never been replaced before. Um, and that's a hundred thousand dollar job. So a lot of money in the community from our community forest. And so we've got two people here, um, and we'll introduce them now. Thank you, Carrie. And this is, uh, Yanni here in the studio with our two guests, so uh, today we're talking about forestry, and forestry supports our community in many ways, but logging is rarely without controversy. On today's episode of CJMP News, we'll be joined live with two guests to talk about logging in Powell River and beyond. Russell Brewer is a local politician, avid cyclist, and registered professional forester. Hi, Russell. 
All right, thanks. And uh, Russell serving his second term on city council and serves as municipal director to the regional district board. He is the current president of the Powell River Métis Society as well as president of the Powell River Cycling Association. And Andrew Bryant is joining us today as well. Good afternoon. Andrew has worked as a wildlife biologist and consultant for over 30 years. He was instrumental in bringing back the Vancouver Island marmot from near extinction. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, and that was working with Island Timberlands to plan a long-term recovery program for the species. Currently, he serves as field trip coordinator with the Malaspina Naturalist Club. Thanks for joining us today. Good to be here. Okay, so we've got a number of questions, and I know people are already calling, uh, but I, there was a question that I got from a couple different people, and I'm going to put this to Russell first. Um, what is the difference between private managed forest land and holding a tree farm license? I think that gets confusing for a lot of people. Sure. Well, private managed forest land is private land. It's a uh, fee simple land, although it's it's regulated under the Private Managed Forest Land Act. And as far as tree farm license, that's one of the forms of tenure, uh, we call it, or, or form of license that a licensee will hold on crown land. So it does, the land belongs to the, the public, but a licensee will have the right to harvest the timber or manage the timber over that area and it's just one form of tenure so there's tree farm license there's woodlot licenses there's bc timber sale areas there's community forest licenses as well okay uh, so when we're talking about the what we've just heard about in Stillwater, there was um, logging there and actually also compromise it sounds like um, what kind of land holdings are there so that's private managed forest land okay. so owned by island timberlands yeah, same with some of the, most of the island timberlands held properties are, are private managed forest land, so it's private land. Okay. Okay. And go ahead, Yon. Okay, so looking at uh, logging practices, because this is something we've also been asked about, and also something of interest to myself, uh, when companies leave behind large volumes of, of wood, uh, so, you know, after logging, they'll leave behind uh, slash piles, sometimes they burn them that year, sometimes they wait a while, sometimes they're left behind. Um, and often those end up needing to be removed at public expense. Are, are there ways to hold logging companies accountable to uh, environmentally friendly post-harvest practices? Just with respect to slash piles and the slash left behind? Yeah, there. any slash that's left behind that's of value, the licensees, it gets measured and they get billed for what's left behind. But on the flip side, you don't want an area being logged too clean to the point where there's there's nothing left behind as well, because there are you know, there, there's animals and species that rely on some level of slash being left behind. Now, in most areas, lower mainland uh, and around here, it, there's a move away from burning, piling and burning slash. You have to balance the risk from from fire, but you also don't want to remove so much of it that you're not leaving any anything behind there's also a move to using some of those slash piles so in some areas that are close enough to mills that could use the the wood waste they're being shipped and shipped to the mill to be used and that does happen on occasion around here close to close to town okay so i have a question about clear cutting um which seems to happen around here i feel like we should know better um and not clear cut. Andrew, this is a question for you. Um, and it's a big question, but I'm curious, like ecologically, um, what are we losing when we're clear cutting a forest? 
That's a really, really good question. Russell actually uh, touched on it. Um, good logging means thinking about what you're going to leave behind, and not only uh, debris piles or slash, but but also standing trees and planting trees and, and whatever. This all comes back to actually how you l- harvest the area in the first place. Um, my background in, in ecology, I actually did uh, worked on a study with McMillan Bladell where we actually experimentally harvested uh, areas using a variety of different harvest methods, including small clear cuts, large clear cuts, small patch cuts, and actually selective logging. It turns out in this type of coastal forest, if you want to protect uh, bird diversity, for example, uh, your best strategy is actually, believe it or not, small clear cuts. But the key is small clear cuts. Take a little bit at a time and come back and do it over a period of years and you have a sustainable operation. And when you say small, how much, what is that? Several hectares. Okay. So kind of what was going on maybe here recently um, at Lot 450 area, would you, was that a small clear cut that was going on? Do you remember when they, last year, there was big protests there? Everything is relative, of course. Um, yeah. One of the one of the first observations I made, having moved to Powell River six years ago, uh, was that the size of the typical clear clear cut cut blocks here, where it was fairly small compared to the eastern coast of Vancouver Island. Um, having said that, if you have a fairly small compact area such as the private managed forest land on Lot 450 uh, that was harvested last year, um, I think they overcut there. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Cynthia is here, and we'll have her ask her question on the air. Hi, Cynthia. Hi. Hi. Go ahead. Hi. Um, hi, Russell. Hi, Cynthia. Hi, and hi, Andrew. Hi, Cynthia. I just wanted to recommend a book, uh, actually an article uh, called Managing BC Forests for a Cooler Planet by Ben Parfit. Okay. Have you heard of this book? Yes, both nodding their head. Yes. Uh, okay, it's a really <laughs> bril- it's a really brilliant article, and um, I'm with Climate Action Paw River Society, and we're having an event on the 18th. Um, we're having a guest uh, come from Tree Canada to talk about um, how pl- how trees can sequester carbon, and we are also hoping to talk about um, getting to know what your carbon footprint is and how to reduce it. Um, I also like to point out that Tree Canada sells offsets, so if you're going on a long airplane trip, they will plant trees for you and uh, our vision is maybe to someday have a a piece of land where we can plant lots of trees and be offsetters here as well so um, I guess I should also mention that on the 18th we're having a lunch for foresters at the forestry building and um, talking about uh, um, um, how to make relationships with Tree Canada and and build um, build a relationship with them and with a view to planting more trees so yeah that's kind of me can you um, tell us a little bit about what's in that book? Um, yeah, uh, the book is, um, I read I read not all of it. It's not a book, really. It's a long article, 61 pages. Okay. Uh, it talks about um, afforestation and reforestation and the difference between the two. And uh, it talks about um, uh, how carbon is, like if you purchase lumber, for example, carbon is still intact in the lumber. So um, uh, when trees are cut down, we're not necessarily losing um Carbon's not being uh, given off, but if we burn trees, for example, um, then, of course, uh, carbon is released. Um, and also, he talks a lot about um, the wood that's left over from um, clear cuts and how that needs to be managed a lot better. 
Uh, he talks about local uh, sawmills and um, so on and how we need to maybe think about getting, you know, not getting them back. Um, and um, also, I guess I should really suggest that people watch a movie called Before the Flood. It's by um, Leonardo DiCaprio, and he talks about uh, palm oil and how forests are being burned down in um, Africa, I think it is, um, and how uh, all that is releasing huge amounts of carbon um, so that we can consume palm oil, which is in a lot of products that aren't good for us. So um, so I just have um, a couple of suggestions uh, for people if they have some spare time to read or watch a movie. And thank you for those suggestions. Do you have any um, questions while you're on the air as well? Um, I don't have a lot of questions apart from I really appreciate the great job Russell does for um, council. I think he's just great. And... Um, and uh, yeah, um, I just uh, I just think that this article is a vision that I read. This um, that I talked about, Cooler Planet, is has a vision for uh, for foresters, and I think it's brilliant. And um, uh, he also talks about um, you know the pine beetle trees, um, how there's growth underneath them, and that so just cutting them down isn't necessarily the best plan. But anyway, um, I can't really summarize the entire article because it's quite uh, it's very very detailed. No, that, that's good. I think. It's a good place to keep talking about um, carbon sequestration. Excuse me, sequestration. Yes. Thank you. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. So thank you for the call. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Uh, so uh, going back to the uh, the idea of like slash piles being left behind. Um, here's some something I've been sort of becoming interested has been making the news. This idea of mycoforestry using fungi to uh, to basically repopulate forests. Uh, it's a r- relatively new concept, uh, and this is using fun- like my- mycorrhizal fungi, so fungi that live in the r- with uh, live uh, with the roots of plants. Um, Post logging, when you're doing the tree planting, are there uh, companies you know of or different projects that are that are going on or research uh, into more innovative ways to support ecosystems that uh, logging companies operate in? So I I can touch on that I guess the so a lot of the seedlings that are grown for reforestation in BC are in fact inoculated with the mycorrhizae that that exist out there already it just helps the seedlings get established better it helps them reestablish those connections with the mycorrhizal fungi so that, that is part of the the nursery strategy in BC for for reforestation and. I just want to go back a little bit to a point that Cynthia raised, and I think it's an important one. She brought up the you know, the forestry around palm oil production mm-hmm. and such, and I think it's an important perspective to keep in mind. I, we tend to get hyper-focused, from my perspective, on forestry management and how things are done here, but it's good to step back a little bit and compare ourselves a little bit with forestry management around the world, and on a relative scale, I think we're doing quite well. There's always room for improvement, of course. There's always room for increased benefits for communities, which I'm a strong advocate for. But on a relative scale, I just like to emphasize that we do a pretty good job on the whole in forestry in BC. I would agree with that. Um, we have a we have an extraordinary resource here. As, as Yanni uh, pointed out, we're learning more about forests all the time, and, and the more we study them, the more incredible they become. Uh, when you start realizing that the trees are talking to one another uh, underground, when you start realizing that in the top of a 400-year-old canopy, you literally have a of an invertebrate um, community that doesn't exist in any other place in the world. Um, this 
leads to the the concept of what is an old growth forest and and how do they differ not only in terms of biological diversity and and things like carbon sequestration uh, but in terms of of their incredible recreational and cultural and economic importance to a local community well i'd love to talk a bit more about uh, old growth forest versus um, maybe a second growth forest that is generally more logged i, th- I believe um, can you tell us the benefits of a uh, old growth forest as they compare to the younger one? Um, I think Russell and I would have no argument in, in that you need to manage forested areas for multiple purposes. And if you're trying to grow uh, trees to make two by fours, um, you know, there's nothing better than a nice 80 or 100 year old straight tree that's been carefully tended and pruned and limbed, uh, and you get nice tall trees before you get that first branch. Um, if you're trying to manage for biological diversity and you want lovely songbirds in the spring, um, you want to intersperse of, of deciduous trees and coniferous trees. So, so depending on what you're trying to manage for, um, your, your management techniques differ, can differ broadly. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to the question on clear cuts and clear cut size, patch sizes. Uh, and you want to manage for old growth at a landscape level too. It's not just strictly on a stand by stand basis. So that's what that's what we try and do in BC is, is manage old growth at a landscape level. So depending where you are in the province, there's more emphasis on retaining more. Obviously, southern Vancouver Island and the and and the lower mainland here there's a lot less old growth than there was before so there's much more importance to retain what we've got left in the in those lower elevation and the drier ecosystems i think almost everyone would agree there's uh, there's a need to retain what we do have in old growth i think there's uh, in other areas there's more emphasis that can be put on making sure we've got enough old growth retained and going back to the clear cuts, Andrew's right. The the smaller clear cuts in terms of trying to meet objectives for a wider range of values is probably best. And then you try and balance that. And you were asking what size, you, you know, maybe the in the four to five hectare range is probably ideal for a number of objectives in certain areas in this area, probably. Although you do get pushed to the larger clear cuts because it's more efficient, it's more practical, logistically it's easier. There's pros and cons. Uh, on, on the one hand, the larger clear cuts you have, the the less fragmented your landscape would be, and the smaller clear cuts, more dispersed landscapes, more more fragmented. Okay, I want to remind people that they're listening to CJMP News on ninety point one FM, and you can stream it online as well at cjmp.ca. And we are taking questions from listeners, and if you want to call and ask a question, either on the air or uh, give your question to Mel, who's answering phones, the number is 604-485-0088. I want to turn the conversation to Mount Elphinstone, because that was a big controversy lately, and um, I know that, I mean, there's... We have an opinion, I, or we. I want to know what the facts were, and I know that Yanni's done research on this, so I'm, I guess I'm putting him on the spot to talk to Russell and and ask some questions about it. So, sure. I mean, I'll just, I'll just in- introduce uh, what, what my what my research has been, and basically, I mean, a lot of it has been uh, just seen uh, powerful images on social media, as as we all often do. Uh, and this, uh, what I came across was a logging protest happening in the uh, Roberts Creek area. Um, this uh, basically urban park in a way 
called Mount Elphinstone. And this is a provincial park. It's on the BC Parks website as a park with a high diversity of fungi. So it's a place I'm interested in, in going to see. And uh, recently there's been logging not in the park itself, in the crown land surrounding the park. Though the um, some of that land was being looked at as park expansion, so there were there were definitely people upset that uh, that you know potentially expansion uh, zone of the park uh, had been logged. Uh, now I spoke to Nicholas Simons a couple of episodes back here on CJMP News, and I asked him how that could happen. Uh, you know how uh, an area that's slated for uh, for becoming a park expansion zone. Uh, could be logged, although he said that it wasn't slated uh, as much as being considered and that part of the issue in this region in terms of logging and and conflicts regarding logging is that we don't really have much of an official uh, regional plan for our land use. Um, Have you seen work towards that in our region? Like, Is there something like that coming our way? So that's such a big issue on the on the lower Sunshine Coast. They're multifaceted, and a great example of the power of social media and and how an issue gets portrayed. And obviously, the social media that gets put out reflects who's putting it out and their values and perceptions. So the, the you mentioned the area is slated for a park, but that's just one particular group of individuals who would like to see a park in that area. So. The area being logged is working forest, of course, and some of the challenges in an area like that, it's older forest, it's lower down on the slopes, it's about 140 years old, so for some people they view that as old growth, and for others it's clearly second growth, so right off the bat there you have have an issue of how the, how, how the issue is framed, right? Old growth logging, which which it's not depending on your perspective. Uh, the other piece, the park was looked at in that area. The park was established, and so the province is not considering establishing the park there. Ministry of Environment, Ministry of Forest Lands, Natural Resources, they're not considering establishing a park. But you're right, you raise a good point in that most areas in the province have a landscape-level plan, which we don't here on the Sunshine Coast, and there's a number of folks been been pushing for that for a long time. They had started one, and it got bogged down, as you can imagine, lots of varying interests on the lower Sunshine Coast here, upper and lower Sunshine Coast. But ideally, that would be good. That would give certainty to everybody. There'd be some clarity around what values are maybe more important in certain areas. Are there is there a need for additional set-asides for parks? Are, is there a need similar to what Vancouver Island has under their Vancouver Island Land Use Plan for enhanced forestry s- zones, special management zones for forestry, and with different objectives and expectations. And then everyone knows what's, what's, what's expected and what's permitted. I think I'd jump in to say that we live in a changing world. Um, ecologists are, are similar to foresters in the sense that you're planning for something that's going to be you know, decades down the pipeline. Um, and land use designations change over time. So, for example, um, some of the land currently owned as private managed forest land uh, by Island Timberlands uh, used to be part of Tree Farm License 39 uh, and came out in 2003-2004. So the land tenure changes over time. It's hard to accommodate that. There were some uh, potentially protected areas or areas of conservation interest uh, in the regional district here in Powell River that uh, are now no longer on the table. 
because of the reg- recent uh, treaty uh, settlement with Pliamen First Nations. So again, governments change, land use designations change, uh, the old growth strategy that you can read about in newspapers dating from the 1990s, um, it, it didn't happen. So it's, it's interesting in that sense. Uh, the other thing is that in planning for the future, I was amazed and very impressed with with a uh, presentation by by um, several people from our local community forest in terms of of how are we choosing which trees to plant in the old days, you planted douglas fir every everywhere um, now we have to anticipate that we 've already got a degree and a half Celsius of global warming we 're likely looking at two plus what kind of trees are we going to want to harvest in a hundred years? These are kinds of questions that are are really tricky and If you ask a conservation biologist what kind of songbirds can we expect in eighty years boy that 's tough. I saw a video on Vice, I think it was, uh, showing uh, somebody on Cortez Island planting trees for the future. And these were trees that are probably, you know, 30 degrees at least down the latitude line. Um, like walnuts, I think that's one that doesn't grow quite yet. Is that right? Um, anyways, that's interesting to consider. You know, what trees are we planting for the future? Is that something that the forestry industry is considering? Oh, very much so. It's a discussion we're having quite a bit because we're... If you project out 50, 80 years, those are the trees we're planting now. That's when we'll be harvesting them 50, 80 years from now. How are they going to perform? Will they be around then? What kind of, should we be planting different species even, which we're not right now. That's another distinction BC has over lots of other jurisdictions where we plant, we replant with native species here. But there's different provenances, we call them. So is, should we be planting Douglas fir in this area that really originates from uh, parent trees that grew in Washington State, for example, or you know further up north, up the mid coast, should they be planting species that were really collected from the seed was collected from parent trees that come from down around here? So that's very much a discussion that's ongoing. There's already been some changes made, more so in the interior with different species in the interior, larch uh, and and other species in terms of allowing planting of trees that come from seed sources that used used to not be allowed to be planted because they were outside the range considered uh, for for planting. So it it is a consideration. There's lots of modeling work being done, as Andrew would be familiar with. It's, it is an ongoing discussion. I even see it when I'm working on the Lower Sunshine Coast. I'm seeing cedar trees dying and dropping out of the stands. You know, not the mature ones, but intermediate and co-dominant cedar trees that looks like they're dropping out after those long droughts we've had you know we had three four years of pretty significant drought that concerns me so that influences what i'm prescribing when i'm thinking about what to plant i'm planting less cedar than i would like to in areas around here because i'm not confident enough that that the drought conditions we're going to be seeing 50 years from now will support cedar and um so uh, russell you work with bc timber sales which um, can you just explain how, what you do with them? Yeah, so BC Timber Sales is a, a branch, if you will, of the Ministry of Forest Lands and Natural Resource Operations. BC Timber Sales prepares licenses and auctions timber for about 20% of the volume that's harvested in BC. And that 20%, the data around how much that wood is sold for, how much it costs to develop the sales, all that information sets the prices used for determining what the stumpage is for the other roughly 80% of, of t- 
timber that's harvested in the province. So that's really the main mandate for BC timber sales is to set the market pricing and the, and the stumpage prices for the rest of the timber harvested. And are we in a upward or a downward trend in prices right now? Oh, very much upward at the moment. However, you might have heard a little bit about the softwood lumber agreement, and that's we're very likely to see uh, you know countervailing duties and, and tariffs applied probably by March, I believe it is, uh, from the U.S. There's things Explain are kind that. of in a holding pattern right now because there's a perhaps an election happening next week down there. Oh, on Tuesday, I think. Yes, yes on Tuesday. So uh, I think the forest industry is quite rightly concerned that there will be uh, duties and, and countervailing duties applied, which last time this happened amounted to an increase of roughly 30%, I think it was, which resulted in a significant curtailing of operations there were lots of shutdowns lots of layoffs okay well um right now i think we're going to take a break uh but we'll be back with uh, andrew bryant and russell brewer to take more questions if you have questions call in or email or facebook there's so many ways we don't i don't check twitter so where are the questions come on people <laughs> so we'll be right back trying to do it right I've been living a lonely life I've been sleeping here instead I've been sleeping in my bed sleeping in my bed so show me family all the blood that I will bleed I don't know where I belong I don't know where I went wrong But I can write a song I belong to you You belong to me In my sweet heart I belong to you You belong to me In my sweet heart hey. 
You are listening to CJMP News on Powell River Community Radio, 90.1 FM, and streaming online at cjmp.ca. Live Fridays at noon, and rebroadcast on Saturdays at 11 a.m. Your voice, your community. Hi, this is Mark Forsyth. You're listening to CJMP 90.1 FM, Powell River's listener-supported community radio station. CJMP is Powell River's source for all things local, news, music, events, and you. And I encourage you to become a sustaining member for as little as $5 per month. Visit cjmp.ca for details and help keep community radio alive and thriving in Powell River. And thank you to Mark Forsyth for that promo. He came into the studio one day and wanted to check out what we're doing here. Mark, of course, was the uh, host of BC Almanac for years. And you might have heard that CJMP is doing a sustaining membership drive for the month of November. November? Movember. Uh, We're looking for 200 sustaining members to step up from the community. And for those of you who already are sustaining members, you probably, a lot of you are listening right now. We appreciate that and we thank you. Um, and you know how much our, your regular contribution keeps us going. Uh, we've done a lot of work over the last few months on new programming, uh, a lot of things, getting the community involved, and we're asking you to keep this momentum going. And um, Yanni, yes. <laughs> you might not know, maybe you do, crowdfunded journalism is the future of journalism. And <laughs> it's happening uh, in places where journalism has been cut. News, CBC News is struggling. I think Mark, when he came in, he said about half of their content is is uh, replayed. So they only have about half original material per day. Um, that's, you know, it's a lot of work to do 24-hour programming. But um, anyways, you, we know how much work it is. Um, so if you're interested in what you hear on on the air, whether it's this show or all the other shows that we do, uh, we ask you to become a sustaining member. Community media rules. <laughs> Thank you. And now we've got a few community announcements. So happening today, we have uh, some some events going on. Uh, tonight, there is a Mike Delamont uh, presentation called God is a Scottish Drag Queen live on stage at the Max Cameron Theatre. It's uh, course language, 14 plus, $25 a ticket. Tomorrow, Saturday, November 5th at 2 p.m. is the uh, kind of workshop slash presentation by the library. And it's called So You Want to Write a Novel with local writer Charlotte Gill. That's happening at Trinity Hall at the United Church, 6932 Crofton Street. Saturday is also a giant book sale. The Kiwanis Club has a book sale happening 10 to 1 p.m., That's at 4943 Kiwanis Avenue on Saturday. Saturday is also the Uptown Market. That's at the Community Resource Center, 10 to noon, as well as the Vinyl Flip, noon to 4, which is a CJMP uh, fundraiser at the Cranberry Community Hall, noon to 4 on Saturday. And more events, but we'll uh, come back to those in a bit. And so in this forestry talk, um, we touched base with Christy Dion. She's a climber who, um, uh, she's interested in the uh, back country, excuse me. Um, her late husband was a climber as well. Uh, he, um, he made a lot of trails back there. There's a campground that's at top of the Eldred Valley. Um, you might have been there, Russell. Yes. yes. Okay, so we're just going to play a quick clip from Christy. 
I would really like to see some sort of recreation agreement for the Eldred Valley and having some sort of recognition that people are back there, people are using these areas, and there's more than just the climbers back there. There's four-wheel riders and four-buyers and, and uh, the Knucklehead Society with the alpine hiking and huts. So my concern with with creating conflict with the with the industry in the area is that we could ruin what we've worked so hard to have and that's the access and that's the campground um and and western has nothing to do with the valley bottom of the elder valley i'm careful to say the industry in the area because it's not just western it's also the smaller companies in the area um and and it's all of them that we have to kind of you know be civil with right it wouldn't take much for them to block the road with a machine and not let us up there mm-hmm. right so I called Christy yesterday, uh, just asking about what's the update with going, what's going on in the Eldred Valley, um, and uh, wasn't quite sure what's going on still, but um, maybe you could update us. Uh, but she just just really wanted to make clear that there's a lot of groups working together, a lot of recreational groups that are also in the backcountry and to be recognized for that, that it's getting used for other things besides forestry. So maybe we can have an update. Yeah, she. And I don't know exactly where things are at, of course, because it's primarily Western's area, but she touched on an important point there, which is a communication piece. And, and when that issue first blew up, right off the bat, it was on social media with a lot of misinformation, which was unfortunate. I think the important lesson there really is just if you're concerned about something in a particular area, pick up the phone, find out who the forester or land manager might be in the area, and and just engage in a conversation, find out where they're at. More often than not, most people just really want to try and accommodate a a variety of interests in an area, and that's so much more important. You get so much more accomplished by just touching bases with folks and finding out really what's going on. The example of the Eldred is a good one, that forestry operations and logging there does not have to preclude recreation opportunities, and it won't, and more likely there's synergies to be had where if there's equipment or people working up there, they might be able to help accomplish some other goals for maintaining access to certain areas. Uh, That's with respect to forestry. I've got other concerns up there. I think it was last year where we found out about the investigative permits for IPP projects. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other issue. Uh, But the climbing camp, there's no reason that can't be maintained and managed uh, in perpetuity. There's some good access points to trails there that are getting a lot of use. I was up at Emma Lake three times in in September, and it's it was amazing how many people I ran into every time I was up there. So I think just having those conversations with the land managers is really important, and we can accomplish maintaining recreation access and, and really probably enhancing it as well. The Eldred is an absolute jewel, one of the biggest surprises I encountered when I came to Powell River. Uh, for your listeners who have not been out there, picture three or four Yosemite valleys laid end to end. It's incredible. As somebody that used to be an avid rock and ice climber, uh, it's not the first and won't be the last time. I wish I was 30 years younger and 40 pounds lighter. Um, But the point is well taken. Western Forest Products and the other and most forest companies will talk to you if you ask them. They've actually been pretty good at uh, making information available via the internet. So I was able to download, for example, their operational maps 
uh, and plot them. And so I can tell you that, you know, if, and they're in the entirety of the tree farm license 39, um, you know, you're looking at an area of about 1,300 square kilometers. Um, about a third of that you can log conventionally, you know, people with chainsaws on the ground and machines. Um, about 7% of that is unconventional logging, which is, which is helicopter logging primarily. Um, like any other form of forestry, you can do it well or you can do it poorly. Um, so I've seen some clear cuts and so on some steep areas that probably should not have happened. Um, there are some areas, particularly in proximity to the wonderful climbing opportunities in places like Amon Rudd, um, uh, where I where I think there might be some trade-offs. Uh, we're not talking about huge areas, um, but we are talking about old growth forests here. Uh, and these are high elevation old growth forests which are different from what you may see at Cathedral Grove and for a bird watcher like me they're wonderful for things like pygmy owls or marbled merlets um, but, but again I think this idea that you can't talk to the loggers uh, is absolutely untrue and in fact I always like to tell the story of how the whole marmot recovery program started with a, with a logger showing up one day after I'd captured one in the field and we had a nice chat well, can you talk more about that? I think it's an interesting story about how you can work with your adversaries, as it were. It was a great story. Um, I used to sign in for safety reasons. Nobody knew who Andrew Bryant was, so I was Mr. Marmot. Um, you know, Mr. Marmot Green Mountain, Mr. Marmot Haley Bowl. Um, just so they knew where I was. And, and one day this gentleman showed up. It must have been a slow day at work, and, and I just tranquilized this marmot. Um, so I have this wonderful slide of Wayne O'Keefe uh, in his day-glow vest and, and Macmillan Bladell hard hat um, holding this tranquilized marmot. And it's a lovely picture, and he got very interested. And, and it was, you know, I didn't know these guys lived here, and this is interesting, and why don't you come and talk to the guys over lunch? So I did. And, you know, a couple of years later, I'm in the boardroom of Macmillan Bladell, and without that logging company, the program wouldn't have gotten started. So I do think, as in most things in life, it starts by being communicative and by trying to uh, not persuade people to your, your particular point of view. That often doesn't work. Uh, but trying to find that common vision that you both can look at and say, hey, this is a good idea. Maybe we can do it that way instead. Mm-hmm. I mean, what about... Um direct action i know that's um that's happened here before to save trees and it's it's it was employed last year in lot 450 um you know that and it works for people who don't want to see their trees cut down um what other options do they have besides communicating you know what can you can talk to loggers and say well can you just not do it here go out somewhere else does that ever work well, i think we just saw a good example of that south of town where there was perhaps a different tack taken there some phone calls obviously were made some emails and you had folks get out on the ground and look at things together so often that's the solution for a lot of this is so many seemingly fire issues are resolved just by getting out and walking through the woods together and talking about things like andrew said most people want to be problem solvers and come to some compromise agreements it's no fun being at opposite ends and adversarial on, on an issue. Some people find it important to accomplish their goals through direct action. It's not something I advocate, obviously, but uh, that's everyone's choice. But I'd much prefer if someone's concerned about something perhaps BC Timber Sales is doing or Western's doing or the Community Force is doing to pick up the phone and, and or find out who they can speak to and then pick up the phone and, and contact them. 
I think uh, one thing that we kind of run into um, in terms of areas areas that are being logged and people that are opposed to the logging is uh, an imbalance of, of resources in the sense that, you know, they say, like, yes, it's easy to pick up the phone, but this is on people's volunteer time, whereas, uh, you know, logging companies that are operating are getting funds for, for doing uh, that work. Um, are, are people expected to, on a volunteer basis, um, figure out what best what works best for the ecology or what kind of jobs are um are employed by a company like bc timber sales to ask those questions ahead of time well, and that's a good point one of the recently at ubcm one of the things that was discussed was the results of several different surveys that were done ubcm did some surveys that the city of fell river responded to uh, the truck loggers association also did some survey work reaching out to communities and the main feedback was a lot of communities and local elected officials would like more engagement with forest companies or tenure operators and more along the lines of just you know come talk to us once a year or twice a year make yourself available to the community just present what your plans are where you're planning to operate as andrew pointed out some are very good at putting their information out there community forest puts out their operating plans uh, online you can go to the site and check their management plan and maps same with western same with bc timber sales so yeah there's a requirement to make yourself available and 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 volunteer your efforts but if you're passionate about issues that you're concerned about i think that's important to to volunteer your time to do so and and, th- and sometimes information and pleasant conversation is not enough um, so we, we wind up in these situations where we don't have information. Uh, the Ministry of Forests no longer have, has a research branch, for example, nor does the Ministry of Environment. Um, we increasingly depend on graduate students uh, to do most of the wildlife research in British Columbia, and that's a travesty. Um, we get into situations, as we did last spring, um, in the center of town and portions of Lot 450 where... where um, you know, find some bird's nests. Um, you're not allowed to take or molest a bird or its nest, um, but it took a volunteer to go do that, um, and, and that helped. But ultimately, it took a handful of ladies, and I think there were a couple of guys, to camp in the woods and, and face down the loggers um, because they weren't going to stop otherwise. And so there are mechanisms, and it always starts with a pleasant, courteous telephone call, and and good conversation um but you have to if you really are interested in protecting a particular forest you have to use every legal mechanism you have to use every scientific mechanism you have to use every tool that you can think of and some that you probably haven't thought of Um, and as we increasingly pick up a newspaper or open facebook and see images from standing rock we occasionally see just how out of sync um, our policies and the will of the people are so we've got one last question, and this is from a caller, so we'll put them on the line. Hi, Claudia, are you there? Hi, yes, I am. Hi, Hi. go ahead. Hi, thanks for uh, doing this, this show. It's been very interesting, and um, I apologize if I, I didn't tune in right away, so I apologize if um, I might be repeating something that I've spoken about, but I have a question, kind of a comment around some things that I wonder if they're being incorporated into any kind of the the land use planning or even community forest planning around, um, you know, elements to the forest that aren't necessarily just about harvesting timber. Um, I've been 
lucky to go on um, plant walks with people who are experts in medicinal medicine in the forest and also taken courses of, of from local folk around cedar weaving and I observed people who are res- doing a resurgence in carving and and so the, all these other elements to the forest that I think are pretty, in, you know, um, essential to understanding how a forest works. Also the cultural aspects of forests. And, and also there's all this new data coming out around the nature health benefits of just walking through a fairly intact forest. So I'm wondering if all those pieces together are kind of being looked at or if anybody's sort of understanding how to put them together as a way of understanding forests management and and how to approach any kind of um you know usage of the forest that in- includes all of these things and not just timber harvesting and, and i feel like more and more people are saying it's harder to access and obviously the mushroom thing is a big one too but for some people are saying it's harder to access certain things that they need to do their traditional work for example or even you know medicinally and things like that so so that's my question is is are are we are there, are, are there kinds of discussions happening on that level? Yeah, that that's a great question. Thanks, Claudia. I'm going to hang it up right now. So just uh, We'll take your question off the air. Thank sure. you. Yeah, so it's a, it's a fair question. And, of course, all those things are considered. Is it Are they considered well enough to meet everyone's expectations? Probably not. But one thing I would encourage folks to do and Claudia raised the example of Community Forest specifically, if you go to the Community Forest website, you can look at the management plan. Sounds very dry. I'm encouraging you to go read a management plan. But take a look at it. You'll see all the things that are considered and written out in that plan. Uh, A lot of those areas are incorporated into either old growth management areas or setbacks, riparian setbacks, or wildlife tree retention areas. That doesn't meet the needs for all those activities, but that's part of the objective for managing the entire community forest landscape at that level. And all those other values are considered, you know, including recreation, for example, is one of the main objectives for the community forest, as is water quality, because it incorporates the, the drinking water supply for Powell River. So those are all important considerations. And the other thing I would encourage you to do is occasionally you'll see a notice or an invitation for folks to come out and <laughs> speak to community forest reps or others when they're having an open house for a management plan can be very boring but take the time and attend those that's a great way to get get some feedback to what you think is important and andrew you've touched on the the fact that trees talk to each other underneath the ground it kind of goes with the question i think in terms of having a multi-faceted you know whole look at the forest rather than just the trees that, that we see Can you talk a bit more about that? Well, yeah, the trees talk to each other. They talk to the raven, and the raven talks to me. Um, uh, It is connected. Um, um, I love the comment um, your caller made about the increasingly voluminous literature, um, good quality science about about the, the health benefits of being surrounded by nature. Um, I dare you to go look at a, a chestnut-backed chickadee and, and be depressed about it. Uh, uh, there's no such thing. Um, uh, more to the point, 
I don't think you could visit Vancouver and meet anybody that would now wish that we'd logged Stanley Park 150 years ago. Uh, I don't think you could go to Nanaimo and go to Newcastle Island and walk through um, that wonderful spot and, and wish we'd logged that 40 years ago, which was proposed. Um, so, so my personal and very public passion is, is I want to see as much forest standing as humanly possible. Um, I recognize the value and the economic benefit of, of growing and harvesting trees. And there are few places in, <coughs> in the world, as Russell pointed out, that are better for it. Um, than British Columbia. Um, but I also cringe when I watch old growth forests coming down and then the trees being shipped out of the province as raw logs. Um, um, the, the idea that, that uh, we're maintaining carbon if we keep a 2 by 4 in, a, in your house, well, that's true. But if you ship that 2 by 4 to um, uh, Albuquerque, you've used a lot of fossil fuel to move those molecules around. So this all comes back to the idea of a sustainable forestry industry for BC. Um, as the book by Ben Parfit indicates, uh, if we could move towards a more sustainably locally based economy where we're actually utilizing and milling the timber uh, in our own backyards, I think I think few would disagree with that. And I remember at uh, Council uh, Russell, you mentioned that um, we're building this new park down Marine. And it's going to be a, a boardwalk setting, and if we can use local trees, that would be great. And I think that's—I mean, that's—that's that's a great, uh, you know, for, forward step in terms of. We didn't even touch on raw log exports or climate change in this conversation, but because we're we're going to do this every Friday, aren't I we? Think yeah. We'll definitely do it again. Well, it's a great point Andrew raises. Anytime we can localize the use of resources, I don't. I, think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who wouldn't agree with that well i think uh the time is up so i want to thank you both for coming in today oh thanks a lot for having us thanks very much all right until next friday and uh here is (laughs) redwood tree by van morrison When I'm looking for the rainbow You know what did they learn Since that very day Walking by the river And running like a blue streak Through the fields and streams and meadows Laughing all the way
This is Coastal Color for CJP. Going out on Friday, November 4th, I'm Rabbit Eye. This is local arts news for Powell River for this week and a little bit beyond. The Friends of the Library has a call for artists. Last deadline to return the painted canvases for the 8x8 anonymous art sale, art drop-offs, and times and locations are 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. on Sunday, November 6th at the library, 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. Monday, November 7th at the library, and 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. on Tuesday, November 8th at 32 Lakes Cafe in town site in the old Bank of Montreal building, which is where the 8x8 sale will actually happen. The Malaspino Art Society has a group show ongoing until December 21st called Women and Water. It works by various artists from the Malaspino Art Society and also works for sale happening at the Vancouver Island University Powell River campus in the foyer. Powell River's own craft fair is happening on Friday and Saturday, November 4th and 5th. The Friday times are 5 to 9 p.m., Saturday 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Powell River Recreation complex. Mike Delamont has a show called God is a Scottish Drag Queen live on stage Friday, November 4th at 8pm, reception at 7pm. There is coarse language involved, so it's a 14 and over show. It's $25, happens at the Max Cameron Theatre. A stand-up comedian, Mike Delamont, is not your typical drag queen. He presents God roasting everything from Justin Bieber to the Pope. A fun night for ages 14 and over. There's a workshop called So You Want to Write a Novel on Saturday, November 5th at 2pm. It is free. It happens at Trinity Hall, 693 to Crofton Street, just Kitty Corner to City Hall. Join author and creative writing instructor Charlotte Gill as she breaks down the novel writing process for you to get ready for Chapter 1 and beyond. For more information, call Mark 604-485-8664. The Vinyl Flip record sale happens on Saturday, November 5th from noon to 4 p.m. at the Cranberry Community Hall. Yes, indeed, it's time to make room for new-to-you vinyl. Roxy Records and Vinyl Flip Powell River are proud to announce a second annual Vinyl Flip record sale. Come on down and flip through the bins for some great new finds. The $2 admission gives CJMP half of the proceeds, so um, please attend, if only for CJMP. The Hatchback of Notre Dame happens on Saturday, November 5th from 1.30 to 3 p.m. at the Power of our Academy of Music. Admission is $20. Students 18 and under are admitted free with student ticket voucher. Enjoy a Powell River first as Edward Norman brings to life the classic 1923 silent film The Hunchback of Notre Dame based on Victor Hugo's novel of the same name with live organ accompaniment as well. So powerriveracademy.org will give you details and you can buy tickets online. Malas and Meditation on Sunday, November 6th from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Nourish Space, which is a number 